Wow, hasn't this been great? And my, my favorite part is I, we have three services here on the weekend, so I get to see three different services of baptisms, and these stories are just incredible, awesome what God is doing. Uh, just heads up, uh, this before I get into the sermon, if I step over here, does it not count as sermon? <laughs> if I'm on this side, no, I get close to my, my chair. Next weekend, we start a brand new series at New Spring. I think, personally, you know, a lot of you really love Love Affair and Life, Inc., and and text message. I think next week's series is the best of the year. I can't wait for it. It's called Holidays. You will not believe what the set will look like behind me. The New Spring team has gone way overboard, and it's going to be so exciting. We're going to have the best time in the world celebrating Christmas. Each weekend uh, leading up to Christmas, we're going to be talking about how that Jesus clarifies life. For me, Christmas can be a confusing time of the year. Uh, For some reason, we get into a lot of excess. We spend too much. some of us eat too much. And so we're going to be talking about what, what Christmas is really about and how that Christ came into our world to make things clear. So next weekend we start that weekend after Thanksgiving. And by the way, I just want to, while we're talking about Thanksgiving, I want to express my gratitude to the New Spring Band and team. Weren't they awesome this weekend? It's just like every weekend it gets better. And you know, the, the band never quite looks the same because more and more people are involved, but I just appreciate so much. And in my personal opinion, what a joy to celebrate. This month, we're celebrating the third year that America's greatest worship pastor has been our leader, Lance Cummins. And I appreciate Lance so much and the awesome job he does. If you want to get ahead in life, this is a sermon now. I'm standing over here, all right? If you want to get ahead in life, I think it's pretty much universally agreed there's one thing that you have to do, and that is exceed expectations. For those of you who are in HR or those of you who lead any kind of business, you're always looking for that person, that man, that woman who goes beyond, who exceeds expectations because that's the way to get ahead. Or if you're in school, if you exceed expectations, you stand a better chance of getting a scholarship or getting fellowship if you're in college and you're about to go to grad school. People look, our world looks for people who exceed expectations. People, you know, all of us have a benchmark, all of us have a baseline of expectation that we have, but when somebody goes beyond and exceeds expectations, they get our attention, and that is how to get ahead. You didn't need a minister to tell you that, did you? Because you can be walking through the airport and stop at all the business bookstores, you know, the bookstore where they have the business books and stuff, and just about everybody says that. So you can get that from Jack Welch, you can get that from from anybody in the world. Exceed expectations. But did you realize that exceeding expectations is a teaching that comes directly from God? God is the source of excessive or exceeding expectations. When Jesus came into our world, he taught to go beyond expectations. Oftentimes in his teaching, he said, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you, you should do this. And every time he would call us to a higher level. When Jesus was teaching his great sermon on the mount, he made this statement. He said, if somebody makes you go one mile with them, go two. That was because in Jesus' day, you know, Israel was ruled by Rome. Rome ruled the world. And even though Rome would allow some, you know, local governments to have a little bit of flex, at the end of the day, Rome ran the show. And they put their soldiers in every one of their conquered territories to make sure that everybody did exactly what Rome wanted and Rome got their tax money. There was a universal rule that if a Roman soldier came to any boy in any country that Rome had conquered, that he could demand that that kid carry his pack or his paraphernalia for one mile. I don't know how that went over in other countries, but the Jews hated it. Hated it so badly that Jewish boys, according to historians, would, would mark off one mile in all four directions from their house. They'd put little white pegs 
one mile in all four directions so that if a Roman soldier came and demanded this kid carry the pack for one mile, when this kid got to the mile marker, he could throw everything down and say, I don't have to carry stuff one inch further. But along came Jesus in his teaching, and he said, if somebody demands that you carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. What Jesus was teaching was exceed expectations. But maybe what we shouldn't be surprised at is that it wasn't just that God teaches us to exceed expectations. And by the way, every one of us, if you're a Christ follower, you should exceed expectations. I, this is not what my message is about, but you know, if you, if, you, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be the best at whatever you do. You ought to go beyond what everybody else does. Everybody else can punch out and do the minimum required, but if you're a Christ follower, you should go the second mile. But what shouldn't surprise us is that God himself is the, he is the source of exceeding expectations. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, and I'd like to look at the 20th verse of this incredible chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Look at this. The Bible says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him. Let's read this middle part of this verse one more time. The Bible says, that God will accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now that is, to my mind, that is ground zero of exceeding expectations because the Bible tells us that God wants to work in your life and my life and he wants to go beyond anything that we can ask or anything that we can think. Now, I ask pretty big. Do you? I mean, when I talk to God, I ask for big things. And I think big. There are no pastels in my personality. I'm a a big thinker. So when I read that verse, I'm saying, oh boy, that kind of, you know, I hope that's true because after all, I can ask real big, I can think real big, but it's in God's word so I know it's true. What God is saying is he wants to work in your life and he wants to work in my life in much bigger ways than we can ask in our prayers or that we can think. Could you use that today? I mean, could you use God doing, could you use God going beyond your expectations? Could you use it in your life if God worked in a bigger way than you could even dream? And somebody could say, well, Mark, listen, I'm already checked out right now because I have asked God for stuff in the past and God did not come through. And to be honest with you, Mark, if I were to just shoot real straight with you today, I think God underperforms. I've prayed and I've asked God for a lot of stuff and it didn't happen. And you know, here's the deal. Whenever somebody doesn't exceed expectations or, or worse yet, if someone doesn't meet expectations, we have a word for that. That word is disappointment. You know, if you have a student that just doesn't meet expectations, he's a disappointing student. If you got married to someone and, and he doesn't meet expectations, it's a disappointing husband or a disappointing wife. We are disappointed in our life when people do not meet expectations. And it could well be that somebody's here today and you're saying, Mark, I'm disappointed with God. Because I've been to church services just like this, where the pastor said, you could ask God for stuff. And I asked God, and he didn't come through, and so I'm disappointed with God. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I want to say to you today. God wants to do more than you can ask, and he wants to do more than you can even possibly think. But there are two things that you need to know that make it work. And those are the two things that I want to talk to you about this weekend. The first thing you have to know, we saw very clearly in the text, that if if God is going to exceed your expectations, he has to get credit for whatever happens. 
God must get credit. If you go back to our text and look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, look at the first line. It says, all glory. Now, we don't use the word glory very much anymore, but the word means credit. All glory, all credit to God. And then in verse 21, it says the very first words, glory to him or credit to him in the church. So what do you have in the middle? The Bible says in the middle, God will do exceedingly more than we can ask, exceedingly more than we, than, that we can think. But that's the lunch meat. The bread that sandwiches the lunch meat says God gets credit at the beginning and God gets credit at the end. If God is going to go way beyond our expectations, he's got to get the credit. And that's what messes us up sometimes. Because, you know, at the end of the day, even though we might never articulate it, we want the credit. Oh, we want to give the credit to people that we like. We want to say, well, yeah, God was at work, but you know what? I had to do my part. And that screws it all up because what God insists on is God insists that he gets the credit. Now, I could have upset somebody unintentionally right there because somebody could say, well, Mark, I have achieved in my life, but I want you to know I achieved because I worked hard, I went to school, I I studied hard, I've been the best at what I do, and that's the reason why I'm ahead. So when you tell me that God should get credit for the good things in my life kind of upsets me a little bit. Friend, let me tell you something. I mean this in all kindness. If you want to know where you'd be without God, go up to the hospital, ask them to show you somebody on life support, and when you see somebody on life support, that's where you would be without God. Actually, you'd be worse off than that. Because God is the one who has given you the health and the strength and the mental capacity and the opportunities. And, and, you know, here's the thing. Everything that you have, all the tools that you have to accomplish what you accomplished were given to you by God. God wants to get all the credit. Now, here's a wonderful truth. And I, I wish I knew how to communicate this because I'm trying to learn it myself. Any place, any environment where God gets the credit, God will be active. Now, why does Lance stand up here with the team, and, and why, why do they lead us in songs? Because you know what they're asking us to do? They're asking us, hey, take time out for a moment. Give God credit. Give God props. What do we just sing? My hope is in the Lord from this time on forevermore. My hope is in the Lord. What are we saying? You get the credit. That's why Lance and the team are leading us to do that. They're not up just to show how good they are. They are great. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to pull out of you that sense of saying, God should have the credit. And people every once in a while, they say, man, I love New Spring Church. I feel it when I walk in the parking lot. I feel it when I'm in the worship service. I feel it, Mark, when you talk. Do you know what you're feeling? You're feeling God at work because God is getting credit in here. Whenever God gets his props, stuff happens. Whenever I try to take credit, God says, well, hey, I'm going to back out. And here's why. Here's why God, it's not just that God is a megalomaniac. It's not that God is just saying, hey, I'm jealous, even though he is a jealous God. But here's what God is saying. God is saying that if I take credit for the good things that happen in my life, who am I going to look to the next time there's a question? I'm going to look to myself. But if I give God the credit, God knows that he can work in my life because the next time he does something great, I'm going to give him credit and everybody around me is going to know that God has worked in my life. Now, the Bible is God's word. And that's why in January 1st, 2008, we're starting something called Odyssey 08. We're going through the Bible as a church together with the one-year Bible. You don't have to buy one. You can download the text, but if you want to get one, you can get one back at New Spring Store. But here's the deal. We're going to go through the Bible together as a church because we need to know what God has to say. And one of the things that God has in his Bible is he has stories of how he has interacted with people in the past. And when it comes to giving God credit, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. 
Jehoshaphat was a good man and a great king. But I should tell you before I get into the story that back in these days that, you know, whenever someone was king, it, oftentimes the, the, the country surrounding this king would want to test him to see if he was really tough enough to stand up against an assault. Because what, the way that kingdoms enrich themselves and enrich their economies as they would go and they would take stuff that belonged to other kingdoms. That's just what they did. That was sport for them. And oftentimes, what, what kingdoms would do is they would coalesce. There would be two or three kings who would get together and they'd say, let's just go over here and take this guy's stuff and we'll split it three ways. And when Jehoshaphat became king, that's exactly what happened to him. He was a good man. He loved the Lord. He was king over Judah. But there were three nations, not, not one, but count them, one, two, three nations that got together and they said, we're going to go over and attack Jehoshaphat and we're going to take their stuff. And the moment that Jehoshaphat's intelligence found out what was coming down, Jehoshaphat knew he was in trouble because there was no way in the world that his country could stand up to three powerful nations. And he didn't hide, he didn't hide his angst. I mean, he didn't try to tell his people everything is okay so that he could manage expectations. Jehoshaphat walked out in front of the temple and he basically said before everybody there, we're in so much trouble. And he asked the people to pray and he asked them to fast. And the people really began to ask God for help. I mean, as a whole nation, they got together and they said, we really need your help. And they were praying. And all of a sudden, God's spirit came upon one of the prophets there. And the prophet stood up and said to Jehoshaphat, king, there's something you need to know. I just heard from God. And this fight is not ours. This fight belongs to the Lord. When these three countries picked on you, they picked on somebody a lot bigger than you. And God is going to come through. So don't be afraid. Don't, Don't be cowardly. Let's just be courageous and let's go out after them. Sounds good, right? If I'm Jehoshaphat, okay, I'm saying God told me to go after these people because the battle is not mine. The battle belongs to the Lord. So Jehoshaphat is getting his army together, and he does the most extraordinary thing. Now, I don't know anything about military strategy. At New Spring, we have a lot of you know, people who were in the military in the past, and some of you were commanders. I know that. I can just tell you, whatever your strategy might have been if you were Jehoshaphat, you probably wouldn't have done what he did. I, I, I'm thinking if I'm going to put a group out front, I'm probably going to put my archers out there. Because I'm going to think, you know what, if I put the archers out there, they can shoot some arrows and maybe they can thin out the ranks so that when the infantry hits, you know, maybe we can win the war. That's what I would have done. But you know what Jehoshaphat did? You're going to love this praise team. He decided to put the choir out front. Now, I know some, there are some pretty athletic people. You know, if you're in high school, there are some pretty athletic people maybe in the choir. But normally... Listen, if I'm taking the high school out to meet the, the enemy, I put the varsity out front, and I don't know that I put the choir out front. But Jehoshaphat did. I mean, these people were not armed. It was crazy. But, you know, God had said to him, the battle doesn't belong to you, the battle belongs to the Lord. So Jehoshaphat put his choir out front, and they went out singing this song. And basically what the song said was, God, you get the credit. You get the credit. I mean, they just went out singing as a choir. God, you get the credit. And when you read the rest of the story, the Bible just says that God started a conflict among the three armies, and they began to attack each other. And by the time the Israelites got out there, they had no enemy. See, that's the deal with God. God will do the amazing. He will go beyond expectations as long as he gets the credit. Well, that's a story that's almost 3,000 years old. How about one that's... uh, a little over a decade old. And how about one that has something to do with the land that you're sitting on right now? In the mid-90s, 
At our old location in South Wichita, our church began to grow. We grew from about 400 to 500, 500 to 600. And at that time, we started to think to ourselves, what are we going to do? Because we had four acres of land and we were landlocked. And I began to look quietly for land. I think it was in the early 90s. I was driving to conduct a funeral service down here at Lakeview at 13th Street. And in those days, if you had to go to Lakeview, all you could do was get on 13th Street and drive forever. But I remember crossing the 13th Street Bridge just south of us here and looking down and seeing heavy equipment and stuff on the ground below the bridge. And I asked someone in planning, I said, what's going on out there, out there by, you know, on 13th Street, north and northeast side? And someone said, well, Pastor, they're going to build an expressway that's going to belt the northeast quadrant of the city. And it was like God just told me. I mean, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. It wasn't like God spoke or anything. It was just like I knew that that's where our future was. And so by the mid-90s, we were looking for land out here. But the only problem was, even though, you know, there wasn't anything on the expressway at that time, everybody kind of saw the same thing that I saw, that this area was going to pop, and it was really hard to find land. And I can remember in, in those days that if it was south of 13th Street, it was priced by the acre. If it was north of 13th Street, it was priced by the square foot. I was born at night, but not last night. And I don't know anything about commercial real estate much, but I just know that when they start pricing it by the square foot, you're in trouble. And we had brought in an expert, you know, church growth expert, to tell us what we should do. And by the way, do you know all you have to do to be an expert? All you have to do is go 300 miles away from home, carry a fancy leather briefcase. That is all you have to do to be an expert. <laughs> this expert analyzed our church and its trends and everything, and he said, well, I've determined that you need between 15 and 25 acres. And so I was operating on that. And I went to our board in those days, and I said, fellas, I need to go out and find some land. I need to go out and negotiate. So here's the deal. We need 15 to 25 acres. But I said, at that time, I think we had saved about seven, eight 800000 maybe $900,000 in the bank. But I said, I don't, I don't want us to spend all of our money on land. I want to hold some back so that we can start construction. I, I would like, how about $300,000? Is that okay? And the guy said, absolutely. So they sent me out to negotiate for land, $300,000. And we found some land vastly inferior to where we are right now, south of us, but we could get it for $300,000. At least we thought so. The only problem was they had a potential buyer on the line. They didn't think the buyer was going to be able to come through. And they said, listen, when this option runs out, we'll sell it to you. And so we were just sitting on that. I mean, it just, I mean, I was like tapping my foot for six months. And then there was, you know, well, we got to have 60 more days. And then we got to have 90 more days. And finally, we got to the place where we thought we were going to be able to buy the land. But all of a sudden, the people who had the option bought it, and we were starting from square one. I was sick. I was devastated. Because I knew this was our future. In the meantime, we'd be driving down 21st Street, you know, and Mary Alice would point to this corner, and she would say, what about that piece of land? And I said, lady, you don't know anything about real estate. (laughs) There are two reasons why that will not work. Reason number one is it's not for sale. And number two, if it was for sale, it would be in the millions There's no way in the world. But in the process of time, I found out that the land here was owned by a couple who lived in another city and that there was a Christian gentleman here in town who handled their investments. And I got connected with him, and I started talking with him, and I said, hey, you know, we might have some interest in some of that corner down there. And he said, well, how interested are you? Well, you know, I'm just thinking in my head, um, well... 300,000 is my cap. I need 15, 25 acres, so I'm going to start a little bit lower than 300,000, so I can come up. I'm going to start at 25 acres, so I can go down. So I said, here's the deal. We will offer you $10,000 an acre for 25 acres on the corner. 
I knew there wasn't a chance, snowball's chance on a hot griddle that that was going to happen. To my utter amazement, he called the owners and he said, yes, the owners are going to take it. They will sell you 25 acres on the corner of K96 and 21st Street for $10,000 an acre, $250,000. And I'm doing cartwheels. I would show you, but I'm so old and I can't do cartwheels anymore. I was saying, yes, oh, we got our land, yes. So the agent brought the contract over to me. I signed my half. He was going to go to the other city and have the owner sign the other half. But by the time that started to go down, the word was out on the street that this piece of land was being sold. And all of a sudden, the money that was being thrown at that owner was so much bigger than I could have ever been. And we were out of the game. And the agent called me, and he said, sorry, pastor, it's just not going to work. There's so much money in this right now. And the owner has decided he's not going to sign his half of the contract. I was so devastated. There's no way in the world I can tell you how upset I was. And I'm embarrassed to tell you because I don't want you to think badly of your pastor, but I was just fuming mad. I'd never talked to the owner before this moment, so I said to this agent, I said, I want the phone number of that owner. There are a few things in my life that I can just like go back in, in my mind and revisit and, and, and I used to have this big ornate desk in my office at the old location. I never sat behind it. It was too ostentatious. I just put a rocking chair in front of my desk and had my phone there. And I can still remember like yesterday, I picked up the phone and I was dialing the number. And you know, I was punching those numbers like this. And, and I'm ashamed to admit it. I had every intention of calling that guy and telling him what a dirty dog I thought he was for backing out on a verbal offer, a verbal agreement. Only a couple of times in my life has the Holy Spirit just stopped me. I mean, he didn't say anything out loud, but he spoke louder than if he had spoke out loud. It was like God's Spirit put his hand on my chest and said, Mark, that's not the way to do this. I hate it when he does that. (laughs) You ever just like really get a good mad going, you know? And I mean, you're just really about to clean somebody's clock and God says, you follow Jesus, don't you? So, phone conversation probably lasted 45 seconds. I called him by name, and I said, my name is Mark Hoover, and I pastor the church that tried to buy you land. And I said, I know what you're being offered, and I know you're, you're being offered a lot more money than we can pay, but I said, there's something you need to understand. I'm not going out there to build a strip mall or a factory where we're going to recoup our investment. I want to go out there and build a church. And I said... If God wants one of these other companies to have that land, I want them to have it. Now, that wasn't strictly true, but sometimes if you don't have faith, just act like you have faith. (laughs) I said, if God wants one of those other companies to have that land, I want them to have it. But if God wants us to have it, I want us to have it. And I do not, I mean, it was like God just like started talking through me because I, I had no idea who I was talking to. I didn't know if this guy was a Christian or a Buddhist or whatever. I had no idea who I was talking to. But all of a sudden, at the end of the conversation, I found myself saying, but all I care about is that God gets the glory. And he thanked me. I hung up the phone. I wish I could tell you I had great faith. But my emotion was, well, we've lost our land, but we've kept our reputation. That was on Thursday afternoon. Friday afternoon, about 3 o'clock, I'm driving down to Derby to make a phone call. That was back when we used to have our phones, you know, big old phone in, installed in our car. My phone rang. I picked it up, and it was this agent's voice on the other end. He said, uh, Pastor, I, I just got off the phone with this owner, and he said, you know, he likes you. 
And I thought, well, I'm a likable guy. I'm not surprised at that. He said, no, I've handled his investments for a lot of years. I'm not even sure he likes me. But he said, that pastor's the nicest guy I've ever talked to. He said, preacher, it's up to you, but if I were you, I'd make that man an offer. But he said, there's just one thing. Ah, oh, how God works. There's just one thing. I didn't think God was working at the time. I thought it was a disaster. Save that for the point that I'm going to get to in just a moment, okay? Save that for point two. File that away. Put that in the box. There's just one thing. He doesn't want to cut up his land. The minimum he will sell you is 40 acres. Now I'm dead. I've already offered the man $10,000 an acre. But I've asked, the, remember I asked the board, I said, set me a cap to go out and negotiate with. I set the cap at $300,000. 30 times 10 is 300000 That's okay, but 40 times 10 is 400000 and I can't offer that. I thought to myself, I can call the board together and see if I can offer that, and maybe we can go up to a million if we have to. But at that moment, I couldn't say anything else. The most I could offer... And I'm driving. By the way, you ever think like this when you're driving? It's really scary. It's just thankful. I'm thankful that nobody got killed that day out on K-15. Because I'm driving and I'm thinking. I said, tell them this. Tell them we'll pay him $10,000 an acre for 30 acres. And I want him to give us the other 10. That's what that agent did. He said, well, pastor, I'm bound by law to present any offer. But you know what's being thrown around. You know the offers. I said, yeah, I know, but. Tell him $10,000 an acre for 30 acres, and I want him to give us the other 10. Now, my heart of hearts, I'm thinking to myself, wow, we could go up to a million, maybe a million and a half, maybe two million. I don't, you know, maybe we could borrow some money, but I'm, I left it right there. That was Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, Saturday night, 11.45, 15 minutes to midnight. Listen, when my phone rings at 15 minutes to midnight on Saturday night, somebody's in a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> but when I answered it, it was this agent's voice, who, by the way, is a fine Christian gentleman. And he was, I could tell his voice was catching. There was some emotion in his voice. He said, Pastor, you're not going to believe what's going on. He said, I'm sitting here with the owners. And he said, I have a signed contract that says they'll sell you 30 acres at $10,000 an acre, and they're going to give you the other 10. Well, I knew it was awesome. But you know, I'm a nail biter. Check my nails out sometime, okay? I mean, this is football season. I'm watching the Cowboys. They're really bitten down now. Forty-five days had to pass. We had to do the title search, the EPA study. It was just freaking me out because I'm thinking something's going to go wrong. Something's going to go wrong. You just had to have been where I've been, where I had my hopes up, and then my hopes got dashed and all this stuff. And finally, 45 days passed, and we went down to the title office, and we were getting ready to sign the papers. And some of the leaders, some of you guys who were on the board went down with me, and some of our staff were there. We had like this big entourage, and we were sitting around the table, and all of a sudden the owners walked in. I'd never seen them. I'd never had anything more than that 45-second conversation. They were very nicely attired, very polite, but proper. Walked over, took their seats on one side of the table. I'm sitting on the other side of the agent. If you've ever bought real estate, you know how this thing works. There's a big old stack of papers. They signed, then I signed, and the paper's in my stack. They signed, then I signed. And finally, when all the paper was in my stack, I got my nerve up. And I looked at the owner, and I said, I've got to ask you a question. Why did you do this deal with us? So much money was being thrown around out there, and, and I knew who was offering it and knew what they were offering. I said, when all this money was being offered, why didn't you take one of those other deals? And I'll never forget, as you, I didn't know, 
the owners were committed Christians. I didn't know till he raised his hands and he said, I tried to accept one of those other offers. But every time I tried, all I could hear was Mark's voice saying, all I care about is that God gets the glory. Think about the land you're sitting on. It's worth about $15 million right now. Who gets the credit in that story? Me? Strategically, at every moment, I made key mistakes. The only thing that I did that was right in the whole process was to say something that I didn't even feel but I knew was right when I said, all I care about is that God gets the credit. I didn't think we ever had a chance at this land. I didn't think, I, I told Mary Alice it was impossible. I told everybody I knew it was impossible, but God came along. You know what God did? God exceeded expectations because he got the credit. I'm telling you, God will do extraordinary things in your life, but he won't do it as long as we say, well, you know what, I, I did a little part myself here. Only when he gets all the credit. And some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, Mark, I really have never been bad about that. I've always given God credit in my life, but it still seems to me that God is underproducing. One more thing. One more thing that you have to understand before God will do the incredible in your life. Not only does he have to get all the credit, he has to do it on his terms. See, my problem is, and maybe this isn't your problem, this is what I'm, I, I, by the way, you do understand, I'm not preaching at you this morning. God is teaching me this message. I'm just another student telling you what God is showing me. I want to live in this, imp- I want to live in this excessive production that God wants to do in my life. But oftentimes what I want is I want to tell God, you know, God, listen, I need you to do something really big, but here's how I want you to do it. Now, what I must understand at that moment is I'm not looking for a God, I'm looking for a genie. You know, I'm rubbing the bottle and I'm saying, okay, God, out comes, out comes God. God, I need you to do this for me this way. You know, I need to, you know, some of you are praying, God, I need a husband, but I want him to look like this and I want him to have this kind of job and this kind of income. And God, I want to find this wife, but she's got to look like this. She's got to have blonde hair and blue eyes and, and, and she has to have this beautiful voice. And God, I want this. It's got to look like, listen, that's not a God. That's a genie. Do you see why God won't come out of your lamp and, uh, your, your lamp and a puff of smoke and give you what you want? He's still got to be God, and he's got to do it his way, on his terms. One more story, and I'm through. Years ago, there was a a prophet named Elijah, and Elijah was a colorful guy, a volatile guy. I love him. He's my favorite character of the Old Testament. Elijah was just a strong guy for God. When he was up, he was way up. When he was down, he was way down. I think I sort of identify with him. But in Elijah's day, stuff was really bad. People were worshiping idols, and not only were they worshiping idols, they were getting into all kinds of sexual immorality and the worship of these pagan gods. It was really terrible. And the worst part about it was the king and the queen were the leaders of the whole deal. And Elijah really represented the minority, people that worship God. The only problem in Elijah's day that made it really complicated was the people, at one hand, they would go to the worship of Jehovah God, and they would say, we worship Jehovah God, and then they would run over here to the temple of Baal, and they would get involved in the worst kinds of stuff. So one day, Elijah walked out to the people, and he said, wait a minute. We need to decide who's God here. If Jehovah God is really God, then we should serve him. And if Baal's really God, we should serve him, but we shouldn't be bouncing back and forth. And by the way, this is a good message for some of us today, because we bounce back and forth. And Elijah said, don't do that. 
If God's God, go for him all out. If he's not God and Baal's God, then, you know, do that. So he proposed this test. He said, here's the deal. There were like 850 prophets and priests of Baal. And Elijah said, here's the deal. You know, you guys kill a bull, put him out there on the altar for a sacrifice, and, and we'll do the same thing, and we'll ask that God just like brings down fire from the sky and sets this bull on fire. And whoever, whichever God answers by spontaneous combustion, then that God is God. And the Baal prophet said, oh, it sounds good to us. So Elijah let them bat first. And they put their sacrifice out there on the altar, and they started praying. You know, oh, Baal, please send fire. Baal, please send fire. Nothing was happening. I love Elijah. It's naughty what he did, but I like it. <laughs> you know, 15-yard flag for taunting. Elijah started taunting them. And he said, where is your God? Maybe he's not up today. Maybe you need to sh- shout louder. You'll wake him up because he's probably asleep. And boy, that got him really ginned up. And they started going real loud. Still no fire. And Elijah said, well, maybe, maybe he got on eBay and he got a real good deal on a cruise or something. And he's not here because he's on vacation. And I mean, that really got them upset. And after crying out for hours, they took out knives and started cutting themselves to prove how serious they were. Still no fire. Now, here's the point I want to get to. I know that God told Elijah to do this, but it's one of those things that I'm beginning to understand in my life. This is what messes me up. God said to Elijah when it was, when it was his turn, and, and you know, it, it, this is hard to accept. God said to Elijah, take 12 barrels of water and pour it on the bull. Now, if I'm praying something will combust spontaneously, I don't want to pour water on it. I mean, it's tough enough to get that bull to catch fire, you know. But I mean, Elijah said, pour 12 barrels of water on it. This is where I'm learning in my life, I lose. Because oftentimes what God does when I pray and I ask him for help, it's like God makes it more difficult. And I'm saying, Lord, you didn't hear me. I was asking for the bull to catch fire. I'm not asking for water to be poured on the bull. And it's like it's getting more and more difficult. Have you ever left money on the table in a deal? I'm becoming convinced in my lifetime that I have left miracles on the table because what happens is when I ask God to help me and it gets more difficult, I say, well, I guess that's not going to work, and I walk away. But God will do the unbelievable. He will do more than we ask or think if we give him credit and if we let him do it his way. There's the soggy bull. I mean, for hours, the Baal worshiper has been praying and nothing is happening. People's eyes are as big as saucers because now Elijah has really made this thing tough. They've poured water on the bull. Elijah prayed in English. It's 59 words. I don't know how many words it is in Hebrew, but he didn't pray very long. He prayed the kind of prayer I like for people to pray if we're praying in public prayer. You know, just do business with God and let's go. And Elijah said, Lord, you know, you're God. I've, I've told these people you're God. If you're God, bring down fire. Boom! Fire fell from heaven and licked up the sacrifice, the Bible says, and the people shouted, God is God. What I've learned is that oftentimes when I ask God to help me, the situation will grow more difficult. Why? So that when he works and when he moves and he exceeds expectations, all of us standing around are saying, yep, that's a God thing, all right. That's God. Could I say to you today, God wants to do, God wants to blow your mind. He wants to exceed your expectations, and he will if you give him credit and if you'll let him do it his way. Let's pray for a moment.
I may be talking to somebody here today and you're saying, Mark, I really, really desperately need God. And I am ready in my life to accept those two conditions. Then let's pray together. And I'm going to pray for you, and you join me in prayer, please. Lord, you know the needs of your people. And you know the things and the changes that they're asking for today. We covenant together in your house that we'll give you credit. And that we'll let you do it your way. And we'll stand back and give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray for just one more moment, please. Every weekend at New Spring, I give you a chance. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I give you a chance to receive him. Wow. If there's ever a moment that God exceeds our expectations, it's when he forgives us of every sin and gives us eternal life. And these two same conditions apply. Number one, you have to give him credit. You can't say, well, it's because I'm a church member or because I do good things. It messes it all up. The Bible tells us God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's Jesus plus nothing minus nothing. And you say, well, I would have chosen a different way. I'd have, had you, I'd have climbed a mountain or something. But God just wants you to ask him. And if you'll ask God to save you, he will right now. Let's pray. You don't have to pray my words. You can pray your own words. But if you want a prayer to pray, if you will mean this from your heart, God will hear your prayer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. I believe you died to pay for my sins. Save me and forgive me. I trust you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Do this, if you will. When you came in today, you received a worship folder. There's a place on there where you can respond to us. If you ask Christ to be your Savior, would you let me know by checking that box? And then if you'll put an address on there and drop the card in the boxes, the back doors or in the offering plates or at the bottom of the staircases, if you'll put an address on there, I'll send you one of these. It's just a packet, absolutely free. It won't cost you anything. It's got some DVDs and some wonderful information to help you know how to take your first steps in following Jesus and help you know for sure that you've accepted Christ. If you don't want to wait, you don't have to wait. You can just bring your card back to either one of the uh, guest services or New Spring store. All you have to do is just hand them the card and say, I prayed with Mark today, and you can take this home with you today because most of all, we want you to know Jesus and who he is.